Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello, this is your host, Nancy. I'm coming to you live on the Health and Wellness channel here at voiceamerica.com. Greetings and happy holidays to all of you listening live and on demand. This has been a week defined by many, most especially the media, as a week of hope when it comes to the COVID pandemic. We are continuing to see healthcare workers being given the vaccine on live television. Even Dr. Fauci has been seen and quoted as saying he and his family are ready to take the vaccine. There is a significant PR campaign happening in America to encourage as many Americans as possible to take the vaccine as soon as it is available to them. Yet about 30% of Americans are said to uh, be hesitant to take the vaccine. Some, such as my favorite scientist, Laurie Garrett, are concerned that people are already acting like the pandemic is over, which is far from the truth. I have with me today a physician who represents the nearly 50% of healthcare workers noted in recent uh, surveys to be hesitant to take the vaccine until they see how others are doing with it. She may even be part of a smaller number of folks who ultimately may not take the vaccine. We'll find that out this morning. Um, however, when I first heard there were people not wanting to take the vaccine, I, you know, I automatically thought they were the anti-vaxxers, they were the, the anti-mask people. Um, what I didn't understand is that there were actually um, healthcare workers such as Dr. Neer who um, were concerned about the vaccine and I began to learn more about it and thought that it would be something that I would like to share with you, the listeners. Uh, good morning, Dr. Neer. Thank you for joining me. And why don't you begin by just talking about um, why you're concerned? What, what is the hesitancy of the healthcare workers? Well, good morning, Nancy. Thank you for having me on your program. And this is an an exciting time to have this new treatment available. And I understand why everybody needs the hope. It's been a very long year. And with over 300,000 people dead now, we really need something to fix this. So Mm -hmm. I get the excitement and the hope, and we all need it, and I want it too. So I understand all of that. The problem that I have with this treatment, and I'm reluctant to call it a vaccine because it isn't like any other vaccine we've ever had. So we've had vaccines in our country for about 100 years now. And in the last 20, 30 years, we've really been chastised if anybody questions the safety and efficacy of vaccines. We are told these are good products. You need to take them. They keep the public safe. And this particularly the last 20 years, we've had a lot of trouble with the anti-vaxxers, typically what we would call the granola moms who don't want their kids to get MMMR vaccine because they're afraid of autism. 
And that has been completely debunked. MMR vaccine does not cause autism. Okay. But, but the difference between this current treatment from Pfizer BioNTech and the other vaccines is all of the other vaccines actually use the virus in some way. So they either kill the virus or it's a live virus, but then they weaken it. Then they inject that into us. Our body sees it as foreign and makes antibodies against it and gets rid of it. And so it's gone then. And then we have these antibodies that circulate in our body for a lot of of these diseases forever, for our entire life. For some of them, as you know, not for your entire life, like flu vaccine, you have to get every year because the virus mutates and changes every year. We get different strains. Mm -hmm. And we also have found recently, like for instance, with pertussis, that we need, adults need to get a second dose. We found that our, our immunity has waned. So the old vaccines use the actual virus, they kill it or they weaken it, they inject it, we make antibodies, they tend, seem to last a long time. This vaccine, this treatment is completely different. Mm-hmm. So instead what it is doing is using a genetic material. So mRNA, messenger RNA, and they wrap that in fats in a little fat globule, a liposome, which they inject into us. Then this, our cells take that up and the mRNA gets inside of our cells and uses some of the production material of our cells called ribosomes to stick to that mRNA and read it. And they read through the mRNA, this strip of genetic material and make a protein. And the protein they make is the spike protein from the virus then that gets squirted out into our system. Our body sees that as foreign and makes antibodies to it. Okay. So it's a completely different technique. And the issue that I have with it is that by calling it a vaccine and lumping it with all the others that we've had forever, isn't quite true. It wasn't true at all. It is a vaccine in the way that it does it, but it does it in a completely new way. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how long it lasts, similar to flu, whether it will mutate and we have to do it regularly or whether it will last a lifetime. I mean, they don't know any of that. We know nothing. nothing. So what's even more concerning is the two companies that are producing this product. So BioNTech has partnered with Pfizer and then Moderna, which is the vaccine that's getting approved this week. Both of these companies have been working on this technology for 15 years. Mm. And they have thought that this is the gold mine of pharmaceuticals, that they can genetically engineer any kind of mRNA they want to make any kind of protein they want. So proteins can be enzymes or they can be proteins our bodies are lacking because of genetic problems or they can be antibodies. So they can also make, they thought they could make antibodies through mRNA that would attack attack cancer. So they thought this thing was a gold rush. And both of these companies, particularly Moderna, have generated billions of dollars in private funding and have not brought anything to market. Nothing. Dealing with the mRNA. mRNA. That's the only Mm -hmm. thing these two companies do. BioNTech and Moderna only do mRNA. And in 15 years, they have not brought any mRNA product to market. In fact, they've tried lots of different things, and they can't get anything out of phase one trials because of side effects. 
So that's what concerns me is particularly Moderna. They did a they did a very short trial with a flu vaccine in 2017 using mRNA. And you would think that this would be excellent technology for flu because it mutates every year. And it's hard for us to make the new vaccine to cover the new strains. And so each year we struggle. Sometimes the vaccine that we make fits pretty well for the flu that we see in the coming season. Sometimes it doesn't. So this would be excellent technology for that because, oh, we have a new strain. Let's genetically engineer an mRNA to make this, you know, this Mm -hmm. protein from the flu virus and squirt Mm -hmm. it into people and get them immune. But Mm -hmm. they haven't been able to do it. So when they did that trial in 2017, they only gave it to 23 people and then eight placebos and they followed them for 43 days. And that's it. So it bothers me mm-hmm. that if this is such a safe and effective and easy to do um, <clears throat> procedure process, then mm-hmm. why didn't they make it to the flu? We have to, lots, most people get injected with flu vaccine every year. You would think that would be their boondoggle, but they couldn't get it out of phase one trials. And now suddenly this one with billions of dollars invested in making this happen. And so who knows who owns these companies? Yeah, yeah. Is bringing this out so fast. Sure, there's a lot of question about that. But but um, I thought, and maybe it was Pfizer, I thought they did a much larger study, thousands of people. So for let's what? talk for, for this? Um, yeah, for the COVID oh, they vaccine. Did. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's so like 44,000 or 36,000 or. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you see different numbers around. Yes. So they had planned to enroll 44,000. They ended up getting 37,500. So mm-hmm. pretty close to that. And they, of those 37,000, half of them got the treatment and half didn't. So about 18,500 people have gotten this treatment. Okay. So, yes, a lot of people, but they've only had to follow half of them, so 9,000 of those, for two months to get the safety data, which they submitted November 17. And so we, have, we do have two months of safety data on 8,000 people. And, and in or, those... Or on 18,000 people. 18,000 people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. 9,000, because they only have two months of data on half of the actives. Oh, okay. So 9,000 people. And what they found is that there are serious side effects in 0.1% more in the treatment people than in the placebo people, which makes you wonder what the placebo people were thinking they were getting, that they had to say they were getting serious (laughs) side effects from a from a salt a sugar shot, but mm, <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. So you think, well, 0.1%, that's a pretty low number. I mean, serious side effects, 0.1%, boy, that's nothing. That's one in a thousand. But if you give this vaccine to 100 million people, and we're expecting to give it to billions around the world. So let's start with 100 million and 0.1% get serious side effects. That means 100,000 people get serious side effects. So it's a big number of people that are going to have serious side effects. And serious means things like death, although no one died in these studies, but life-threatening conditions. So you could have terrible inflammation and shut down your lungs or heart attacks or strokes. Um, 
You could have persistent, they calling it persistent or significant incapacity to run your life. So it's, it's, there's serious problems. And, and what I don't like about this technology is we don't know how long this foreign mRNA is going to keep making foreign proteins. We don't know that. And we know that the longer it keeps turning them out, the more it stimulates our immune system. And we know when that happens, eventually the immune system overreacts and you get autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. And that could take four months, six months, eight months. We don't know. So the problem with this product, I'm going to call it a genetic vaccine, because it is not the same as any of our other vaccines. So the problem with this genetic vaccine is we just don't have enough information. Wouldn't you call it a treatment? I would like to call it a treatment. But yeah. (laughs) And the other, and I don't, and we don't know how long it will last. What we know from this, from this study is that uh, out of these 18,000 people who got the vaccine, that only nine people got severe COVID. No, 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 I'm sorry. Eight people got COVID symptoms and only one of them was severe. Uh-huh. Out of the other 18,000 who didn't get it, mm-hmm. 162 got COVID and nine were severe. So clarify for me, because I had told you prior to the show today that I had heard Dr. Uh, is she a doctor? I'm sure she is. Lori Garrett. Um, I had heard Lori Garrett speak to the 95% uh, effective rate as being effective in terms of keeping you from getting severe COVID symptoms. Well, that's technically true. Because one person in the active group got it, and nine people got severe COVID, and nine people in the placebo group got severe COVID. So that's 90%. Mm-hmm. But really what she meant to say is that eight people in the active group got it, and 162 in the placebo group got it, and that's 95%. So what we know from this study is that this product – protects you from getting 95% protection from getting COVID symptoms. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I looked for and couldn't find and is disappointing to me is that they didn't just routinely test all of these people to see how many of them are asymptomatic carriers. They didn't do Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it would have been a great thing to do to know. We now know that it protects us from 95% from getting symptomatic COVID, but does it protect you from just carrying it? We don't know right. that. There is concern that you could continue to carry the virus and spread the virus, and which is why I assume that's why we're people who take the vaccine are being encouraged to continue to wear a mask. Yeah, I wouldn't say encouraged. I would say mandated. It. We have no information. There's no data to know if you if you get exposed to COVID and have it in the back of your nasal passages where it, it, mm-hmm. it replicates and you get the vex, the treatment, if you can still spread that, that virus, the COVID, right. COVID virus. So yeah. we know you, you're protecting yourself from getting symptoms, which is 
very good. They, they didn't have anyone die of COVID in this study, which is really sort of surprising because mm-hmm. there were a few older people who got COVID and didn't die. And in that age group, you would expect to have a 20% mortality rate, depending on their health and comorbidities. And no one died on either side of well, this study well, from COVID. That's pretty positive in the short term, absolutely. And, and in fact, as you and I have discussed um, privately, um, you know, you do have to measure the risks that you're currently under um, as opposed to you know, the ability to wait and see. Um, For example, if my mom was in a nursing facility and she was 92 years old, um, she's at pretty extreme risk of getting COVID and dying from COVID. And so if there's an opportunity for her to take the vaccine, it's probably probably worth the risk. Yes, I would, Mm -hmm. in that situation, I would say that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, In this study, 19 people over the age of 65 got COVID and none of them died. And what we've been mm -hmm. hearing is in the super elderly, at least 75 and up, the mortality rate is 20%. So you would have thought that out of those 19, at least one would have died from COVID. They were in the placebo group and they didn't. So we had no deaths in this study from COVID. Mm -hmm. There are other Mm -hmm. deaths, heart attack. Um, There was a very weird problem with appendicitis that was more in the active in the treated group than the not treated group. They don't yeah. can explain that. But yes, if you your mother is ninety two in a nursing home, um, she's at very high risk for getting COVID and very high risk, up to twenty percent mortality of dying. Mm-hmm. And so this vaccine looks like it will protect her from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Um- so we're in a few moments, we're going to take our first break, but um, I would like to, um, when we come back, I would like to talk about um, other folks who are at risk who might consider taking it when it becomes available and to talk about the availability and how long that's really going to take. So we'll be right back. Um, I'm here with Dr. Neer and we are discussing the COVID vaccine. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today. 
and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy, and I'm back with Dr. Near, and we're talking about the COVID vaccine and the hesitancy and concerns that many healthcare workers and many individuals are feeling about this vaccine. And I can tell you, there is a huge push for all of us to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. I don't even know if the supply will allow for us to get all vaccinated um, in the next four to six months. But um, I'm here with Dr. Neer, who's done a tremendous amount of research on this. I will say that her undergrad is is in pharmacy, and she did work as a pharmacist, as well as the last 30-plus years in emergency medicine and geriatrics primary care. And so she's been... Uh, She's been working in the world of um, drugs, really, for a very long time, has a tremendous amount of knowledge, and I would say a huge amount of interest in this subject. So, Dr. Neer, um, I asked you, uh, I asked your question during the break, um, if you were work- working on the ICU floor, would you take the vaccine today? And you said no, that you would, well, tell me what you no, said. No, I, I wouldn't yet. And I know there's a lot of pressure to do that. I watch Dr. Hotek, who, if any of you watch MSNBC or CNN, you'll see him a lot. He's an infectious disease public health expert from Texas. And he says he will take it when his turn comes up. Um, you know, the whole I, issue now is people jumping the line and who jumps the line and rich and powerful people will try to do that. So he's saying clearly that he'll do it when it's his turn, but that he would do it. And he has said he would take any vaccine that's been approved by the FDA. Mm-hmm. So the problem I have is in this last year with this, thank God, going out administration, there has been a lot of issues about the FDA. They've been politicized and for their first time ever in their history which has made it, which has threatened their trust. So they also did an emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine, if you remember, because the president touted that drug as a cure. And we now know that not only did it not work, it caused excess death. And so that's the struggle I have with this. This is an emergency use authorization. So when the FDA makes this decision, they have to weigh the harms and the benefits. And the harms right now from COVID are astronomical. We lost 3,000 people yesterday. When those kinds of days happened in any of our wars, like World War II, it was considered a catastrophe. And we've been losing 3,000 people a day for weeks now. So Mm -hmm. this is a huge risk. So you're willing to tolerate a very huge risk 
for a new treatment. And that's what this is. And there have been a, several scientists on, that have spoken about this saying, if it wasn't because of the current situation we in, they would never have authorized this. Right. Because they don't have enough information. And so that's why I don't want to take it in the first round. So the first round is 50 million doses from the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, treatment Mm-hmm. That's coming out now, and that's 50 million doses by the end of 2020. So you have to get two doses. So that means 25 million people should get vaccinated within the next few weeks. So, and then they'll get their second dose three weeks from whenever they got the first. So by end of February, March, we'll have some very good data on a very large number of people mm-hmm. on how their side effects and reactions will be to this vaccine and what. I'm afraid of is that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of that is going to blow up in these next few weeks as people get this vaccine and they get unexpected side effects because this isn't just a simple um, shot. It's not, it's worse than the flu shot. If any of you have had the shingles shot, Mm -hmm. it's a little worse than that. And people complain a lot about the shingles shot that they mm-hmm. feel fatigued and fever and achy and mm-hmm. and for a day or three after the shot. In fact, the healthcare system I work for now has asked for the people who are going to get the vaccine because they work in the front lines, ER and the ICU, to plan to get their vaccine when they're going to be off for the next two days because they expect them to be that sick for two days that they can't come to work. So once that starts happening, people are going to start complaining about this. So there's 50 million doses from this therapy by the end of 2020 will be available. But then the government didn't buy any other doses from Pfizer. And Pfizer has sold their upcoming doses to other countries around the world. We won't get any more Pfizer doses until July. Oh. So, but Moderna is planning to have 20 million doses by the end of this month, which seems sort of difficult to do since there's only two weeks left. And they plan to have up to a billion doses over next year. And our government has subsidized Moderna and we will have those doses available. So I just wanna see more data. I'm very concerned about the FDA, how they approved emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine, and it was actually dangerous. They've also done an emergency use authorization for the um, monoclonal antibody therapy, Regeneron, that the president and some of his people have received. What we know now is that you need to give that early in the disease for it to have any effect. It doesn't work later on. And we don't have enough studies to know if giving it early in the disease really makes a lot of difference. So I'm just worried about the FDA. They've been compromised in this last year or at least this last year by the current administration. So when docs go on national television and say, if the FDA's approved it, I'll take it. It's just part of the um, trying to get people to trust the FDA again. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And with the, with the Biden administration coming in, there'll be a new F, head of the FDA. Right. And hopefully 
and there won't be the political pressure and hopefully trust can be restored. Yeah. But it takes a long time for that. So Well, and you know, as you spoke about the the enormous risk, I've I've heard folks say that as well that uh be although very few and rarely have I heard it that um the reason that the approval has happened or the reason that they um support it is because you know, the alternative, which is nothing except what we have. In fact, one doc said, if people had done what was being asked of us, wear masks, social distance, et cetera, um, we probably wouldn't be in this position and uh, we probably wouldn't be feeling the same pressure to get a vaccine out there as quickly as we have. So not probably, Definitely. Yeah. So China has not had any COVID cases in the last two months. They're out of, they don't wear masks there now. So mm. they fixed it. They, they, were, they were very punitive in how they fixed it. I mean, it was a very intense lockdown for um, six weeks. It was very, very difficult for them. And then they did intensive contact tracing, which you can do when you have very few cases. And when those right. people had it, they locked them down. They, they don't have the whole issue about personal freedom. rights. Freedom. <laughs> freedom. They don't have freedom like we do. And so right. people aren't allowed to be stupid in China. They're here. They're allowed to be absolutely ignorant, stupid, obnoxious, rude, Ooh. hateful people who can decide not to wear a mask. Okay. And so it's not just Thus, your opinion be in this place, uh-huh. but absolutely we would not have been in this place. I mean, absolutely. We, yeah. and even when you say there's nothing to do, that's not true. If we all wore masks, we would save tens of thousands of deaths. Now, unfortunately, There's a lot of death already locked in right now because our case numbers are so high. And we know that people are going to die from that. And this vaccine is not going to change that. So that's why Lori Garrett, who is a phenomenal science writer, but not a doctor. She started that PhD program, but but didn't finish. But she has been an amazing science um, writer for decades. And she's brilliant and clear. And, she's, mm-hmm. and we have to be very clear that even having this treatment, this genetic vaccine available, does not change anything right now. It's going to help those frontline workers. And if your mother or father is in a nursing home, assisted living, some sort of congregate living setting, we hope, we think that it will help them. But you have to remember that only... 806 people over the age of 75 are given the vaccine. We don't know how in the trial. So we don't know how many of them have been followed for two months for long-term side effects. We don't even know how long the protection lasts because these studies only track COVID, um, COVID infections for seven days after the second vaccine. That's the only data we have so far. So that's when they called it after they started getting enough COVID cases that was different between the active and placebo. So they said, 
we need to apply for emergency use authorization. They finished collecting data. The data we have from November 17th is when it ended, and they only tracked people for seven days after the vaccine, the genetic vaccine treatment. So we don't know how long this even lasts. In the other phase one trials with mRNA, and they're trying to replace a protein for someone who has a genetic deficiency, they had to give them the injection every month to make that happen. I don't understand that. So the body, the body naturally degrades the mRNA in our cells. Oh. So mm-hmm. you can adjust, you can genetically engineer the mRNA strand to degrade at different levels. And oh. you can genetically adjust it to make different amounts of protein. So there are so many different configurations of that that they have to use computer simulation models to figure out what they think it will do. Mm -hmm. So they, they they can't test them all. Each one would be considered a different drug. So you have to come up, they came up with this genetically modified mRNA and they tested that. And they know that after the first dose, you develop a certain amount of antibody. After the second dose, you develop 20 times more than that. It's quite a booster, but we don't know how long those antibodies will last. Is that when people may have more side effects is after the second shot? Right. Mm -hmm. So with the first shot, your body's never seen this foreign protein and it has an immune reaction. Mm -hmm. The second shot, it's seeing it for the second time and it goes after it. And Mm -hmm. so that's where the risk of side effects and these long-term complications could come in. So what if that second hyperimmune response to this foreign protein sets off your immune system and you get autoimmune disease? So then Mm -hmm. your body generates, instead of just generating the the antibody to this protein, it generates it to a bunch of them because now it's overstimulated. Mm -hmm. And then you get things like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. Mm -hmm. And it can Mm. attack your heart and lungs and kidney and brain, which is what the virus is doing. Mm -hmm. The the immune response to a virus infection is causing most of the problems we're having with it. Yes. So, um, but this was in a small amount of people, right? We're still in the wait and see mode, even though it sounds terrible (laughs) when you say it. Wait and see for what? Wait and see how many people have these side effects. Yes. Um, yeah, so. So it will be terrible if all these millions of healthcare workers mm-hmm. get this vaccine and two months from now, they start to get the long-term symptoms mm-hmm. of COVID. Yeah, that would be right. Because we've heard about the long haul the well, long hauler. Many of ours, many of us have, yes. Um, Which took two, three, four months to develop, and we don't have that information. Right. So what if these, some of these people who get the serious side effects, the 100,000 people who will, out of a million, get right. serious side effects from the vaccine, right. and go we have on to develop right. long-term, long-term Um, symptoms and long hauler syndrome Mm -hmm. and can't work. And now we have just done that to the majority of our frontline healthcare workers. You know, I thought one of the most, I thought the more depressing topics I discussed was about Alzheimer's and dementia, but I I think this really, (laughs) this really tops that. Um, So (laughs) really sorry people, but it's reality. I mean, I think it's important to, to know this and 
the 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 real interesting issue is, and maybe we'll have you back in a few months, is whether we will hear about this, how much of it we will hear um, as, you know. I think we'll hear it. You do? I think that with social media, we won't be able to avoid hearing it. I see. So okay. between um, TikTok, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, sure, everybody has access to those mediums to say what's happening to them. And we will hear about it. It, it, and would, it would be helpful if they would tell us, you know. Um, the general public more. I think that there is a much greater possibility of that happening with the Biden administration coming in, that we actually will hear the truth about it. So so. I'm hopeful for that, which is why I still want to wait. Biden Mm -hmm. isn't inaugurated until January 20th. And so I, this current administration, I don't trust at all. And that's why even if I was offered it, and was in a high-risk place, I wouldn't take it yet. Personally, I've had a heart attack, and I have arthritis already. I don't want to take something that might stimulate my immune system and set that off. So what we do know is that all those healthcare workers, millions of healthcare workers out there, a great majority of them are not getting COVID because they're wearing masks and they now have adequate protective gear. So masks do work. But you have to follow the rules of wearing the mask. And we all make the choices about that. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Are people who um, want to wait um, within health systems, are they being allowed to wait? I haven't heard anything about that, although I think that's going to be a controversy. Mm -hmm. So they haven't made it known if there are people who are saying they want, they're going to wait, that they've refused to take it. They're mm-hmm. making a big deal on the news about all the people who are willing to take it. Sure. Because they want us to believe that it's safe. Well, and look, it, these people are taking it. So it's safe for you. Well, it's feeling at the level of if it, it's a patriotic act. That's where we're. That's how they're making that's it That's how it's being presented. Yeah. The problem is with this treatment is that we don't know, as we've said, if it protects you from spreading it to other people. It right. just All we know is it protects you from getting sick. Okay. So even yeah. if you get this genetic vaccine, mm-hmm. then you still have to wear a mask. You yeah. still have to. Yeah. Yes, you are protected from getting sick, but you don't know if you could spread it to other people. We right. know that 50% of the people spreading it around are asymptomatic carriers. So when your friends come over and they say that they're being safe and they're being careful and they don't have any symptoms, there's still a 50% chance they have COVID. And if you bring them in their house and you don't, your house and you don't wear masks and you have dinner, you're taking a risk. Mm-hmm. You just are. You yeah. can say, well, it's a very low risk. My friends are old and they always wear their masks and they only go, they go to the store with the mask or whatever they're doing. There's mm-hmm. still, everybody's making these choices. So even yes. if you get this, you still have to wear a mask. Yeah. Yes, I'm hearing that. Um, not enough, but I'm hearing it. Um, I'm going to take us to another break. And when we come back, we'll, um, we'll spend the last segment um, wrapping up on this um, joyful topic. And, uh, and we will um, see where we go from here. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy. Um, Before I forget, I did want to make a note that um, if you could send me an email, uh, I'm certainly happy to give feedback about this show. But um, after the first of the year, I am uh, moving toward, um, you know, the show being about what I call all things aging, uh, not simply about caregiving, but about topics of interest, to seniors themselves, uh, about themselves. But also, I'm thinking about doing um, call-in with questions on the show. And so I'm curious if that is something that uh, folks might welcome. So here I am. I'm back with Dr. Neer. And we were, over the break, we were having a bit of a laugh and about the last segment. And um, and I was thinking it might just continue to devolve into, uh, I don't know, us making jokes about things, but I, I think we should keep it professional. Um, we we were making a joke about the fact that I discovered the mute button because um, for the first time I thought, oh my goodness, what are you saying? But um, she was happy to have expressed her feeling about people who don't wear masks. It's been something on her mind for a long time. Um, I agree. I think people should wear masks. And um, I know we're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming months uh, with this new White House administration Um, And we do have mask mandates in some places, other places we don't. Um, But Dr. Neer, you did speak about you wanted to sort of do an addendum to um, your thoughts about older, um, the older old adults over 75. Um, You had some thoughts about that? Yeah, so if I had a loved one 
who was healthy and living, say, an independent living. So a congregate setting, but independent living and, and fairly healthy. You know, they're in independent living because of arthritis or something or mild dementia or they just can't, they just couldn't function in their home anymore and they've chosen to move to independent living, which puts them at higher risk because it is a congregate setting, but they're very healthy. They are going to get offered this genetic vaccine. And if it was my mother, I would tell her to wait. If she's living in a place where there is good mask compliance. And if the place she lives is being very dedicated to being safe. So if you live in a place where we are, which is New Mexico, in Northern New Mexico, we have very good mask compliance. And, and I would ask her to wait for two months, three months. Let's just see a little bit more data on this. This may be very safe. This may be the newest, best thing ever but let's just wait a little bit and, and keep wearing your mask and keep staying safe. So I would make her wait. But if she's living in a place where, particularly if the place she's living hasn't had a very good experience with COVID and they've had a lot of cases and there isn't good mask compliance and people are at risk, then I wouldn't have her get it. Mm-hmm. And it just explained to her what the issue is. So mm-hmm. the other thing to remember is that in this study, they did include people with chronic lung disease, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, liver disease, so like cirrhosis, fatty liver, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hepatitis C, stable hepatitis C, and stable HIV. So we know that in that group that this is safe. We don't know if people had multiple comorbidities or just one. We don't know anything about the intensity of their problem other than it was stable. So it was they were stable problems. So what's good to know is they didn't give this to anyone, any woman who were pregnant or, or breastfeeding. They didn't give it to anyone who was immunosuppressed. So that includes drugs like Humira that are, you know, antibody therapies that suppress your immune system for rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. or anybody with cancer and compromised immune systems. They didn't give it to anybody with any other autoimmune disease. So things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's mm-hmm. syndrome and mm-hmm. all of the other autoimmunes, they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So, and they also have problems with two severe anaphylactic reactions in the UK. Neither of those people died. But mm-hmm. then it came out, they were saying, well, anybody who's had a severe anaphylactic reaction to anything shouldn't get it. Now mm-hmm. they're backing that off saying, no, no, you can still get it, but they make people wait. 15 minutes as you've been if you've been watching the programs they get the vaccine then they make them wait 15 minutes in the in the areas in case they have an allergic reaction because part of the problem one of the things in this vaccine is polyethylene glycol as you know is antifreeze to stabilize the vac the product and some people are allergic to that oh do we do that often do we um, use antifreeze and other things? It, <laughs> That's it's bizarre. It's a minuscule min, amount. But yes, we do. Oh. Oh. And one thing that Lori Garrett brought up on a program last night is that they're having already having problems with supply chain. So yes. the chemical mm-hmm. ingredients that they need to make this product is used in other things too. Other it's used in testing. In mm-hmm. testing, yes. Mm-hmm. And so they're having trouble with the supply chain getting that here to make this product. Mm. So mm. I wouldn't take it if you had if your older mother has 
loved one has autoimmune disease, if they're immunocompromised in any way from either cancer therapy or monoclonal antibody therapy, don't do it then. Mm. If you have severe heart disease, I'd wait. I'd just wait. It, but again, it depends on how well where that person lives is being is following the guidelines and following mask wearing. Okay. Do you think um, Moderna and Pfizer will make changes if they see severe problems? Would they? If they see severe problems, they'll have to pull the product from the market and they'll I have see. to go back and check okay. again. So one of the problems they've had over the past in these phase one trial with these mRNA treatments is that the liposome, so the lipid, the nanoparticles they wrap around it can cause autoimmune problems and reaction. Oh. They're also afraid that those nanoparticles are concentrated in the liver and cause fatty accumulation in the liver. So there's just so much about this we don't know. Using mm-hmm. liposomes is brand new. Using mRNA is brand new in humans. Never, ever before used in humans in large scale. So as this ramps up over these next two months, we are going to learn a lot. And if you can, <clears throat> I would wait. So for most of us, like you and I, who are in our mm-hmm. 60s, we're mm-hmm. pretty far down on the list. Mm-hmm. You know, first yeah. it goes to healthcare workers, and then it goes at, and, and, this, and the people in congregate living facilities. They're also mm-hmm. talking about prison populations because they're at very high risk. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are first. And yeah. then it's people in, and then it's frontline workers. So people, EMT, essential workers, essential right? Workers, they're trying to figure out them. They're trying that to define is, what they decide that mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and then it comes to the 65 and up with comorbidities, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then it comes. I'm 64, so then it comes to me. So I don't have to say anything about this because I'm not going to even get access to it until June, and by then well, there'll be lots as, of data. So you won't, as a healthcare worker, be offered. I'm not in the hospitals. Okay. And I will, I work from home now doing telemedicine. I will be starting a job the end of the month in, 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 in person um, mm-hmm. medicine. If they offer it to me, I will decline it. If they tell me I have to take it or I can't work there, I will quit. I, see. I will not okay. take this until there's at least three or four months of data. I okay. just won't do it to myself. Okay. So um, we have, I don't know, we have four or five minutes left, but I'm, I'm, um, I'm sure you have an opinion about the new at-home testing. I'm just curious. I haven't so asked I you about this. I looked that up last night because it came, uh-huh. I saw it come through the news. Yeah. And it's called Illum. And it's going to cost about 30 bucks, they say. Right. Yep. Seems to be, it's an antigen test, which we have heard about over these last few months as not being a good test. That the, particularly the Abbott test that the, that the government, the president used was 50-50 pretty much. If you, it wasn't accurate at all. And so it was pretty ridiculous to use that as a way to screen people to, to come into the White House, which is why so many of them got infected. Yeah. But this test, they're saying it has, is an antigen test, but with better technology. They're saying it's 91% sensitive. So that's sensitive is how well does it it find the positive people. So with, if you have symptoms, it's 96% sensitive and then it's 100% specific. So specific is how good 
is that negative test. So if it says it's negative, this they're saying, if it says it's negative, it is 100% right. That's oh. what it's saying. Oh. Yeah. But it's only 96% sensitive. So if you have it, there's a 4% chance that you don't have it, mm-hmm. that you do mm-hmm. have it, but the test is negative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes as well. We'll see how that goes. Now, if you don't have symptoms, it's not as good. 91% sensitive, 96% specific. Uh So the reason it's important is because how good a test is, how much you can rely on it, is how much disease is in the population you're testing. So if someone has symptoms, you expect that more people will have COVID than people who don't have symptoms. You would expect that. So if you don't have... Who were around them, you mean. Yeah. People who are. So if you don't yeah, have yeah. symptoms and you mm-hmm. expect the risk to be very low, a positive, the ability for it to, how to say this, uh, there's a lot of false positives. Okay. Problem. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, and hopefully. it costs $30. And the problem mm-hmm. is, is that every day you take a risk with exposure to COVID, you could not have it today and you could have it in two days. So right. how many but days, if, how many times are you going to yeah. pay $30 to get this yeah. test? And but if you're if you attending, just, a, you know, if you're attending an event like a micro wedding or something, um, you know, it might be helpful to to test, right? If you're doing a small gathering. It could. Could. Except that we also know if you test too early in your exposure history, the test will be falsely negative. So just not enough you're just going to say wear the mask. Regardless, that's what you're going to say. Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. Okay. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Yep. Can't say that too much. And we get that. No. So any final thoughts as we wrap up? Um, I really appreciate um, how much research you've done and the information you've shared here today. I, um, you know, until I heard that there were healthcare workers, again, um, hesitant to take this, I, you know, the, the simple media word out there is, um, you know, leaves you with the assumption that it's a certain number of the population um, who, you know, the anti-maskers who are not going to take this, but it's really a bigger problem than that. And so I appreciate you taking the time to explain it to us and, in my opinion, to ex- explain it in layperson terms. Thank you very much, Dr. Nier. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.